check, check, hey. Well, thank you, Zach. I was terrified of what you might say about me. For anyone that knows Zach, they know he's quite a jokester, right? And I don't know if you saw a picture that he posted about me. I don't have it on the screen or anything. But he posted a picture of me in, like, cowboy boots and a buzz cut and, like, I have, like, my foot up against a wall and, like, have a guitar, like, something that my mom made me do for my senior pictures in high school, you know? Totally not me anymore. Um, as you can tell, uh, I've changed a little bit. I actually have hair, um, wear glasses, and I'm not going to play guitar, so you're welcome. Um, <clears throat> but thank you, Zach. Thank you for inviting me to be a part this morning. And thank you, Central, for having me. Thank you to the staff and the faculty, whom many I still know. Um, and thank you for your hospitality, not just today, but also when I was here as a student. And students, thank you for having me. Although you had no choice in the matter, thank you for allowing me to be here with you. Allowing to us to and our stories to come together, even for a brief moment. And in the words of one of my fellow dear friends in ministry, who actually does ministry here in this town, she always starts her talks with the encouragement, if you're going to be here, be here. And I know just how difficult it is to be here. Perhaps you've come to Central and not Central Christian. Perhaps you've said you've had to come here because it's mandatory Perhaps you've already checked out because spring break's right around the corner, let's be honest, right? Perhaps you've thought, you know what, I could get that paper done right now, or I could catch up on my social medias, or maybe a nap. I know how difficult it is to be here because I've been there. And I'm going to invite you in light of all the distractions and things that are going to pull you away from what might be today, I'm going to invite you to be here. You see, there's this wonderful story in the Bible of the Good Samaritan. It's found in Luke 10, verses 25 through 37. And if you have your Bibles, you can open them. If not, I'm going to paraphrase the story for you. Because it's a beautiful story. And perhaps you've heard it, perhaps you haven't. But this story, we often forget, has a reason of why it's being told. It's being told because a lawyer, arrogant and proud, comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I got some questions. And so he comes to Jesus, and he comes to prove Jesus wrong. And so he says, Jesus, tell me, how do you get eternal life? How do you live forever? And Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, says, well, you're a lawyer. You know the scriptures. What do you think? And the lawyer responds and says, well, I, I know how I'm supposed to respond. I'm supposed to recite what was known as the Jewish Shema. And so I said, well, we should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Oh, and I should probably love my neighbor as myself too. And Jesus says to this arrogant lawyer, he says, you're right. Congrats. You figured it out. Now go and do it. And the lawyer is still trying to prove that Jesus is wrong, that Jesus doesn't have anything to offer him, comes up with a follow-up question and says, well, who is my neighbor? And this is the setting for which the story, the beautiful story of the good Samaritan is told. 
It's a story of a man who, with all prospects open to him, begins on a difficult journey, a treacherous journey that was steep. It was 17 miles by foot, and you had to go down, and there were caves. It was treacherous. And this man goes to take this journey, and all of a sudden, boom, robbers come. Robbers beat him within an inch of his life, take everything from him, including his clothes, and leave him there half dead on the ground to die. Can you imagine what it was like for that man to think, is this it? Is this where I die? What did I do to deserve this? And will someone come and help me? And sure enough, by chance, a priest who would have represented the best of people in society comes by and sees this man and is put in a little bit of a dilemma. The priest thinks, well, if I touch the body, then maybe I'll be unclean and I can't do the things that priests do. But also, if this is an abandoned body, I have to bury it. And out of the confusion and not knowing what to do and the confliction of the rituals, the priest perhaps steps aside, in fact, goes to the opposite side to avoid the problem in the situation. And later, a Levite, someone who helped out with the priests in the temple, comes by and sees the man, sees the same situation, and likely thinks the way he was instructed by the priest to think, and steps aside, goes to the other side and avoids the problem. And all of a sudden, a Samaritan, the most unlikely of characters who doesn't belong in the story, let alone on that road. It was a road that Samaritans did not travel. In fact, Jewish people went on this road to avoid Samaritans. And a Samaritan shows up. And instead of doing what the priest and the Levite did, the the Samaritan sees this broken, bruised, bleeding, dirty body has compassion runs to it, risking the fact that he too could be attacked by robbers and administers first aid, lifts him up, sets him on his animal and walks now. He would have given up the right for him to continue to ride his animal so that this man could ride on it instead. And he walks and journeys all the way to an inn where he finds a room for this man and himself, and he stays with him through the night at his bedside, not knowing if he'll live, but continuing to care for him. And he wakes up the next morning and gives the innkeeper two months' worth of room and board. You know how expensive room and board is, Central. Gives two months of room and board and says, I'll come back, and if there's any more, I'll take care of it. I'm leaving an open tab for this person. I'll take care of him. And the lawyer hears this story, this beautiful story, and admits that Jesus had something to offer him by saying, yes, this man was a neighbor to him. He showed mercy. You see, this story is a beautiful one. It's deep and it's rich, and we're only going to have a few moments to just scratch the surface of it today. But I think one thing we often forget about this story is how it came to be. And perhaps how you've come to encounter this story today. 
Maybe you've come like the lawyer. You've got some questions. You've got some doubts about Jesus. Perhaps you think, I don't even need Jesus and his teachings. Maybe you've read the Bible. You've heard it talked about here at Central or in a church or on a podcast, and you're just not sold on it. In fact, it's become so difficult for you to even come and sit in this place that you want to be confrontational towards Jesus. And maybe you're a little smart like the lawyer. Maybe you're just a little too smart. And you can justify all your actions and beliefs by figuring out a way to logically make it all okay. Maybe you've come to the place where you believe Jesus has nothing new or good to offer you. Maybe you've come like the lawyer today and you've got questions. Or maybe you resonate with this man, this person in our story. This person who encounters and lives a difficult path. Maybe you've had a difficult path. Maybe it's felt like downhill and uphill Maybe it's felt windy, like, man, why does this happen? And then why does this happen right next to follow it up? Maybe it's felt uneasy, and you've had to look over your shoulder like, man, is this going to happen too? I can't take one more thing bad happening to me. And so you, you look over your shoulders to keep a careful eye. Maybe you've had a difficult path. Maybe like this man, you've had some difficult encounters. Maybe people came and robbed you without any provoking. Maybe people came and devalued you and stripped you of your dignity and humiliated you. Or even harmed you and played mind games with you or toyed with your emotions or, God forbid, physically hurt you. Maybe you've been abandoned. And like this man left on the road, and you too feel half dead, as the verse says. And maybe you've been in these difficult places, and you've hoped and you've prayed that someone good would come along. And they did, but they passed by. They saw you but didn't do anything about it. Central, I know that I resonate with this man. I was born in a family and where my dad was missing. And I often ask the question, why me? How could this happen? How come my friends can get dads that live at home but not me? I know what it's like to experience a church that cares for you and then in the blink of an eye because you have just a couple different thoughts dismisses you and even outright rejects you. I know what it's like to pursue the greatest of dreams and lean into all the strengths and abilities that I have only to have my ego absolutely crushed by people. Central, I've been in situations that have been so traumatic that my brain has literally blocked them from my memory to protect myself. 
And I've come to tell you this, that God's goodness was in it all. And you might say, Austin, how? Bad things happen to you. How on earth can you say that God is good when all these bad things happen to you? And although I didn't understand the promises and the purposes of the pain in the present moment in which I experienced them, I can look back now and see God's faithfulness and his goodness through it all. Because God's goodness isn't this idealistic, utopian world where everything good happens and nothing bad happens, because if it was, he would be a dictator and then he wouldn't be good. God's goodness is something that he creates and cultivates and commissions in response to the painful realities of our broken world and humanity. And we get a glimpse of God's goodness in the story of the Samaritan. What does the Samaritan do for this man that was broken, bleeding, and bruised? First of all, he shows up. The Samaritan is on a path that he did not supposed to be on. And what is amazing about Jesus is that even in places where you actively avoid him and try to get away from him and even say, like, this place is not where Jesus is, so I'm definitely going there, perhaps like Jonah of the Bible, for those of you that know, Jesus still journeys with you in those places when you're actively rejecting him. That's how good he is. And he sees you. He sees us. He sees you for all that you are worth, all the value that you have. And he has compassion for us because he knows the painful realities of the broken world we live in because he lived here. And he has compassion for you because he knows how hurtful and harmful other people can be to you because he's been here. And the goodness of God has compassion for us and runs to us even when we can't run to ourselves. He kneels to us and treats our wounds because as we go through this journey of life, we're going to pick up some wounds. And he pours wine on our wounds. Why? Because wine in that day disinfected the wound. Jesus comes and kneels and offers wine, hoping that this present pain will not be a prolonged impact on your journey. And not only that, but he offers oil. Oil was used to soothe and begin to restore. Jesus does this like the Samaritan does, and he lifts us up. He physically lifts us up when we can't do it ourselves. And he gives us a seat that was his and walks with us in the mud and the dirt and helps us finish the journey even though we couldn't finish it ourselves. And he comes alongside us and sits by our bedsides in the roughest of nights when loneliness and depression and sleeplessness and suffering and pain and grief plague our minds and run on and on. He's so good that like the Samaritan, he sits with us in it and next to it. He holds our hands through it. And he generously gives us other people to care for us, just as the Samaritan gave the innkeeper to this man. And the beautiful thing is he promises to come back. 
to come back time and time again to check in on us, to see how we're doing. You see, central, God's goodness, his decency affirms your dignity. That's God's goodness. No matter who you are or what you've experienced, what your journey is like, whether you're the lawyer who outright rejects God or the man who's encountered difficult along the path, along the people, and been dismissed by others, he's so good that even you, he affirms dignity, even me. And this is important, Central, because I want you to understand that the world will treat you like a commodity. It will tell you how much value you have and how long you're valuable for. This is why people get hired, why people get fired, why people cheat on one another. The world will see you as a commodity, but God doesn't see you that way. He sees you as inherently and extravagantly valuable. He calls you worthy. It's because of God's goodness, his decency, that you are enough. You are enough to receive his love. You are enough. And this story, this beautiful, compelling, rich story, just kind of ends in the blink of an eye. We don't know 100% how the lawyer really responded. And just as quickly as this story openly ends and abruptly ends, so will I. Because God's goodness is something you have to choose if you're going to receive it or reject it. The choice is yours. The story is open. How will you respond? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are good. Even though our world may be broken and we see that so clearly as we scroll through our news feeds, we know that you are good in spite of it all. We know that your goodness is unfathomable, but we're thankful for the glimpse of the Samaritan who shows us just how good and loving you are to us. So, Father, won't we just receive it? Won't we just receive it and find dignity in a place that no one else can provide dignity for us? God, may we just receive that to receive that you are good and because of that we are enough to be your people and for you to be our God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And I wanted to invite Pastor Zach up here. Why? Because I'm here and I leave, right? Our stories are so briefly intertwined. 
but this is the person who walks with you every day, who I know prays for you and cares for you because I've talked with him about it. And so I want him to give the benediction because he is your pastor. Would you stand? We're going to go back to a benediction that I've given again and again and again and again this semester. So I pray that this morning as you leave, close your eyes. Close your eyes, and I pray that you would receive this benediction. Hear these words. God loves you more than you could ever imagine. He loves you with a love that has no beginning and no end. It is a love that you don't have to earn and you can never lose. Whether you feel like a success or a failure, he loves you. Whether you feel righteous or guilty, he loves you. He loves you enough to send his son to live for you, to die for you, and to be raised for you. Even right now, Jesus is before the Father speaking words of love on your behalf. He will return to renew you and the whole world because he loves you. This is the most true thing about you. This is the first fact of your existence. You are loved by God. Before anything else can ever be said about you, this must be said. God loves you, and that will never change. So don't forget it. Grace and peace be with you. Have a great break, Central.